So I'll be your MC tonight, tomorrow, as we go through this uh, really awesome opportunity. Really awesome opportunity to, to just what the title of the conference is, the Refuel. Refuel. For, for us who are involved, So for us who are, uh, <laughs> I did some youth ministry one time, so uh, um, for us who are involved in, in the life of the church and, and in ministry on a regular basis, um, to, to really come away, um, to be refueled, recharged, to, to um, allow the Lord to work in our life. And so over the next, uh, you know, uh, day or so, um, we'll allow the Holy Spirit to move within us to strengthen us in our faith, to revive our spirit, uh, to revive our bodies, also to enliven our, our minds and our imagination of all that the good Lord wants to do through us and with us in, in, uh, in our ministry, in our collaboration with our deacons and our priests, um, to serve the Lord, to give glory to his name. Oh, to give glory to his name and, and, and to really bring um, others uh, to be instruments, as St. Francis says, the instruments uh, of God's grace uh, to others. That they may know the Lord, they may fall in love with him, um, and that they may live that beautiful life of abundance uh, that he offers to, to them. That we already know, but sometimes we can forget. Sometimes we can get busy about um, checklists and planning and who showed up and what parents want what, and who hasn't been to confirmation class, and is this RCIA class going to make it to the end, and what about this family, and oh my gosh, right? But it's about the Lord. And to, tonight and tomorrow um, here at Refuel, the Lord really wants to fill our tanks. And, and in a very wonderful way, he wants to fill our tanks um, with the theme uh, of this is the Source and Summit, uh, the Eucharist. Um, and our experience of the, of the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, uh, the Eucharist as the source and summit of our Christian uh, life. Um, as we begin tonight, we already had the opportunity, many of us, to celebrate uh, the Eucharist together, celebrating the Holy Mass. Um, but let's begin in prayer, just asking the Lord to bless us and guide us and strengthen us in these days. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loving God and Father, in the wonders of your providence, your plan for the world. Um, you foresaw that we would need your son, Jesus Christ, to show us the way. And he has come to show us the way, the truth, and the fullness of life. He invites us to come to him, all who are weary, and he will give us rest. Tonight, we desire to be led deeper to the heart of your son, Jesus Christ, especially in the Eucharist, we contemplate the power of his presence, the grace that he pours out, his power, um, his action in our lives and in the world. May the Holy Spirit enliven our minds and our hearts to receive all that you wish uh, to give to us, that we may find joy uh, in these days, in the fellowship we share with one another, in the times of prayer and reconciliation and the celebration of Holy Mass. And in the times that we learn uh, the deeper mysteries of your life and your love through your church. We ask the intercession of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. There's the intercession of our patron saints and our guardian angels. That they may intercede for us before your heavenly throne. 
and as your beloved sons and daughters, we begin this time together, united in the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Paul, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have the pleasure of introducing our, our speaker, who will be with us tonight and tomorrow. Um, he is a priest of the Diocese of Sioux Falls, uh, ordained in the year 2000. So he's a millennial priest. Um, Jubilee. A Jubilee priest. Not a millennial. Well, you know, well, I'll let him explain more about that. Um, he and I had the opportunity to go to seminary in Winona, Minnesota together, and then also um, spend time together at the seminary in Rome at the North American College as well. Um, played a little basketball together, a little flag football at Winona as well. Um, but uh, um, also to have the opportunity um, to um, really uh, share our, our priesthood uh, a few times over the years. Um, Father Scott's trainer, um, as I said, ordained. He's been a pastor. He's currently pastor at St. Benedict's in Yankton. He's been there for a year and a half after he served as the rector of the seminary and in seminary formation uh, down in Denver for several years. Um, he's been a chaplain uh, in, uh, in um, campus ministry as well, and there's a rich, um, rich background. But years ago, I was vocation director, and I was given a conference uh, with other vocation directors, uh, um, I think it was in Detroit, 2011. Um, and I was given the, the, the conference on Saturday and Sunday, um, and I was going to fly back Sunday night, but there was a, this great speaker coming on Monday that I wanted to hear, um, Father Timothy Gallagher. Uh, Timothy Gallagher, some of you might know some of his works on the spiritual life. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to keep my plane ticket to Monday nights, not Sunday nights. Um, and uh, so, so I, I did that. And I got up Monday morning, and I went down to the conference, and they said, oh, we're very sorry, but um, Father Timothy Gallagher, he has lost his voice. He can't speak. He won't be able to present today. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do in Detroit today? I'm going to go explore Detroit, which didn't seem at that time like a good idea to walk around downtown Detroit. So I said, well, then they said, oh, it's Father Scott Trainer," And I said, a guy from South Dakota? I stayed over for a guy from South Dakota? I went to school with this guy. I don't want to hear him talk. So I went to the first conference, got a cup of coffee in the morning. Got a cup, I thought I'd be polite. I'd say hi to him, listen to his conference. And then I'd go walk around and see the dangers of downtown Detroit. Well, what I experienced was just a really powerful conference of a man deeply in love with God who has experienced a spiritual life in powerful ways and loves to share that with people. So I started scurrying around because I brought nothing with me. So I was like, hey, you guys have extra pieces of paper? Do you have some pens? Because what he was giving was honestly gold. And so I don't expect any less. No pressure, Father. Um, I'm very excited that he's here with us to share um, his uh, insights into the spiritual life, his relationship with the Lord, and especially um, uh, with the, the Eucharist. So without further ado, please welcome Father Scott Trainer. Well, good evening, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Great to be with you. 
That's a very funny story. I'd kind of forgotten about it. Uh, <laughs> Father Gallagher, for a number of years, had struggled with uh, issues that took away his voice, and he's a nationally wonderful, known speaker. And his teachings on St. Ignatius, and particularly the rules for discernment of spirits, are, in fact, pure gold. And it was like two weeks before that conference, uh, he called me up, and he's like, Scott, could you do this for me? And it was like eight hours. It was a lot. It was six hours of the discernment of spirits for all the vocation directors in the country. So I put it together, and it was a great blessing to do it. And uh, that's a really funny story. So. <laughs> uh, Father Brian prayed so beautifully for us, but I'm going to pray again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And this is St. Paul's prayer for the readers in... Ephesians chapter 4. For this reason, I. Chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you, in accord with the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner self, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to accomplish far more than all we ask or imagine by the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus. We ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, that we may have strength to comprehend the height and depth and breadth and length of your love for us. Particularly as you come to us in the sacrament of love of your sacred heart, the Holy Eucharist. Jesus, draw us through our participation at Mass and through each moment of our day into a whole new lived experience of your infinite and unconditional love for each one of us, far beyond all we can ask or imagine. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is not South Dakota today. But I would like to be there. It was like... Brutally, bitterly cold with the wind chills yesterday and today. It was nice to drive into Rapid City where you have more seeing weather, at least at this moment. I want to start off tonight uh, by talking about prayer as a relationship of growing intimacy with God. So my approach for our four conferences is tonight I want to lay this foundation in prayer because the Mass... If I'm going to encounter Jesus Christ, as St. John Paul II said, my liturgical encounter with Christ in the public prayer of the church, which is the greatest prayer of the church, the Mass, is like related to my personal prayer, like inhaling and exhaling. If all I'm ever doing is inhaling, I'm not going to breathe well. If I'm all ever I'm doing is exhaling, I'm not going to breathe well. And so to grow in my encounter with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, it is essential that I'm also growing in my encounter of intimacy with him in my daily prayer. So uh, tonight, I want to lay this foundation in prayer. And then tomorrow, this is going to be a lot of fun. I've not done this before. But we're just going to kind of go through the different parts of the Mass, like the sign of the cross, the greeting, 
the Kyrie, you know, just kind of each part of the Mass, and give some uh, thoughts and reflections on how to enter into each of those moments of the Mass in a more relational way, in a way where I can more deeply encounter Jesus, who is really present and comes to meet me with his sacrament of love and the Blessed Sacrament. Okay? So that's the, the approach that uh, we're lined up for in our four conferences today. But I do want to start off, since um, we're talking about encountering Christ in the Eucharist, just getting in a mind frame, like remembering what the Mass is. In your opening comments, Father, you're talking about how we can easily forget in the busyness and the demands of our work and the living of our faith and trying to help others live in their faith, that it is all about our relationship with the Lord. And this is certainly true in our experience of Mass. How easy is it, no matter how deeply we believe, to go through the motions at Mass? It's a simple thing to do. So I just want to start tonight by uh, drawing our hearts and minds back to remembering what the Mass is. I want to start with uh, Ezekiel chapter 47. Oh, I should tell you this too. Um, in my slides, you'll see, uh, I'll be happy to send these slides to whoever can email them to you. So I really want you to be able to relax and receive what we're talking about and what you're hearing and where your heart rests. Because that's where God is speaking to you. The Holy Spirit wants to give you these conferences. And to, as we'll see, paying attention to what draws your attention and choosing to remain there and rest there will be the way to open your heart most to this activity of the Holy Spirit. So don't feel like you have to scribble things down. Uh, the slides will go out. You can look back at any of the slides anytime you want. So uh, just relax that way. We'll start off in Ezekiel 47. And this is uh, Ezekiel's vision of the temple. So the angel brought Ezekiel back to the temple, entrance of the temple. And he saw water flowing from beneath the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the facade of the temple was toward the east. The water flowed down from the southern side of the temple, south of the altar. And he led me outside by the north gate, around to the outer gate facing the east, where I saw water trickling from the southern side. Then, when I had walked off to the east with a measuring cord in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and had me wade through the water, which was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand, and once more had me wade through the water, which was now knee deep. Again, he measured off a thousand and had me wade. The water was up to my waist. Once more, he measured off a thousand, but there was now a river through which I could not wade, for the water had risen so high it had become a river that could not be crossed except by swimming. Then he brought me to the bank of the river, where he had me sit. Along the bank of the river, I saw very many trees on both sides. He said to me, this water flows into the eastern district down upon the Arabah and empties into the sea, the salt waters, which it makes fresh. Wherever the river flows, every sort of living creature that can multiply shall live, and there shall be abundant fish. For wherever this water comes, the sea shall be made fresh. Along both banks of the river, fruit trees of every kind shall grow. Their leaves shall not fade, nor their fruit fail. Every month they shall bear fresh fruit, for they shall be watered by the flow from the sanctuary. Their fruit shall serve for food and their leaves for medicine. So, I don't know what this was like for people in Ezekiel's day. But for you and I as Catholics, what a privilege we have into this prophetic vision. 
Because we know what that river is flowing from the sanctuary. It is the life of grace. It is Christ's own life poured out for us from his pierced side where blood and water flow. And this image of the movement of Christ's grace from the altar that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. It's not just a little bit. It's not just sufficient. It is super abundant. Far more than all we can ask or imagine. Super abundant for our every need. And where this grace flows, what happens? There is abundant life. And then there's these trees that are good for food and for medicine. And their fruit never fails. Healing, nourishment, super abundant healing and nourishment by the outflow of grace. And... Radical transformation. This river enters out into the salt waters. The Dead Sea, in fact. The saltiest sea in the world. And it makes the salt waters fresh. Apart from, like, the water starting on fire, there isn't, like, a more radical transformation you can imagine than those salt waters becoming fresh waters. This Dead Sea becoming a place where fish and every kind of thing that lives can thrive and flourish. And this is what Jesus has for us in the gift of his life for us on the cross, which is made present and effective for us at every Mass. How many times has God called me back to Mass? I think of lost years in my life. Born and raised Catholic, 12 years of Catholic school. But by the time I got my driver's license, was not going to church. That changed my sophomore year of college. Started going back to Mass a little bit. And then did some uh, volunteer work that summer, and my life changed completely. And I've gone to daily Mass almost every day of my life since then. And I don't know how I lived 16, 17, 18 years old, 19, 20, 21, before that transformation happened. But how many times have we been called back to Mass to enter into this Movement of Christ's life poured out for us deeper and deeper and deeper until we're no longer the ones in control, right? I can't wade across this river. It's too deep. It is a mighty river. I have to allow myself to be carried by grace, to be vulnerable to being radically transformed by grace, to allow Jesus to be for me the bread of life, without which I cannot live, and to allow him to be my healer. This is the invitation more and more and wherever we're at in relationship with God and the people that we work with, wherever they're at in relationship with God, there's always more for us to receive and it will never get old. So I love Ezekiel 47 and the wonderful stream that Ezekiel has in his vision as a way of remembering what the Mass is. I was evangelized my sophomore year in college by non-denominational evangelicals. Well, actually, the girl I was dating, who was a very devout Catholic, but all her friends were non-denominational evangelicals. And uh, so I had different groups of friends in college. I had my girlfriend and her friends that year, my sophomore year. Uh, I was an engineering major, so I had my engineering friends. I was on a Navy scholarship. and so I have my Navy friends, and then I was living in a fraternity. I'm my fraternity friends. Now, 
These were four very distinct groups. Right? <laughs> and they didn't have a lot of interaction with each other. But as I started to meet these very sincere Christians, who are an incomparable gift in my life, the, the influence they have me is just a tremendous gift. Uh, what I noticed about them was their joy. They were deeply joyful men and women. And they weren't like, you know, uh, members of the Optimist Club. They weren't like living in Smurf Village, running around singing songs. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. That was, that was nice. They had a deep joy, but they had real lives, you know? They had their ups and downs. They had their triumphs. They had their tragedies. They had great difficulties, some of them in their family relationships, others of them, you know, dear friends who got very sick the things that happen in real life. But through it all, whether they're having the greatest day or they're having a horrible day of very real suffering, there was underneath that a reservoir and a depth of abiding and authentic joy. And I didn't know what it was at the time, but I know what it is today. And it was so attractive because I and my other friends were surly and sarcastic and bored and you know, been there, done that, and you know, cynical, that kind of thing, a lot. And this was just different, and it was refreshing. Like, like, like I'm in the desert, and someone comes by with a bottle of water, refreshing. And so I started asking them, like, what's 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 different? What like what is what's your deal? There's something about you at different times. And they kept asking me because they were non-denominational evangelicals. Well, Scott, do you have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Do you all go to the same school? Or like, what? Why? I don't know. I got an A in religion class all the way through school. How about that? That's not what they had in mind. Okay. Um, no one today asks me if I have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I kind of wish they would. Father, do you ever, does anyone ever come to you? Like, hey, Padre. No. You need to sort of assume. Uh, don't, listen, don't. <laughs> and I, I pray, honestly, I pray from time to time that God would let me run into one of these lost friends from my college years who were such a blessing to me. Um, so I can thank them for their witness. So with their help, I should say. So when I didn't know how to answer, I didn't even understand the question at the time. And they just encouraged me to start taking the Gospels and take a little time to read with the Gospels. And then talk to God. Well, what do I say when I talk to God? Well, just talk to him like you talk to a trusted friend with whatever's on your heart. Okay. And I didn't start doing that like right away every day for an hour. Uh, but I did it from time to time. And the more I did it, the more I was like, that's a good idea. I should do that. I should, why don't I do that more? I should. And I did. That's how I began to pray in my life. And... Um, <coughs> So I would love to run into any of these people who are such a good influence to me, and so I can thank them, number one. But then to say, hey, guess what? You know when you ask me, do I have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I do. And that has made all the difference in my life. And I want to thank you for your help in leading me to that. But you know what, brother? That's not enough. <coughs> And then watch them have an evangelical heart attack. <laughs> what do you mean? Right. Because as God's beloved sons and daughters, made in his image and likeness, and as baptized men and women, we are called to a life of intimacy with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Through Jesus, with him, and in him. 
Christocentric Trinitarian intimacy. To participate in God's own life through Jesus, with him, and in him. That is what God created every one of us for. And that is what God has made possible for each one of us from the day of our baptism. So, I have, I'll tell you that story so that you know I have a great love for our uh, separated brethren among Christians, like our non-Catholic Christians, Protestants, and non-denominational types in all the rest. And over the years, I've met people who are uh, lapsed from the practice of the Catholic faith, and they've enthused to me about what they found in whatever church they found a home in, some other Christian church. And they tell me about the things that are so life-giving to them there, and they're real things, and thank God they're being nourished in that way. But everything they talk about, whether it's dynamic preaching, or really going deep into the Word of God, or great fellowship, or uh, the service that this community of believers undertakes, or the power of God that's at, in evidence because the Holy Spirit is upon this congregation for healing and blessings and miracles. That's great. And that's so Catholic. <laughs> that might not be the experience you had in your Catholic parish, but that is the proper blessings of the church. And I can say that about everything that any of my Christian brothers and sisters say and find their nourishment in. But they cannot say that about the Eucharist in their experience. The source and summit of our faith, the Blessed Sacrament. And look, uh, when we come to Mass, like as the priest at Mass, I make acts of adoration and worship to Jesus Christ, truly present in the Blessed Sacrament. When we walk into church, before we sit in our pew, or as I'm approaching the sanctuary, I genuflect. That's an act of worship to Jesus Christ, who is truly present. After the Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God, and between the moments of the consecration, same thing. An act of prostration, genuflection, in adoration of Jesus Christ. And so my separated brothers and sisters have to answer a question. Is that host the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, or isn't it? Is it or isn't it? Because if it is, and of course it is, what an astonishing gift. I mean, if you heard on, what are we on now? Twitter, on Instagram, on Pinterest, on Facebook, whatever your platform is. <laughs> right. That Jesus Christ is there in person, and you can hear his word, and you can go and touch him with all his power for healing and miracles and deliverance and everything else. People would be flocking. It'd be nuts. But that is not the reaction that people have where Jesus Christ is humbly waiting to encounter each one of us in the tabernacle of every Catholic church. So, my separated brothers have to, and sisters, need to make up their mind. Is it or isn't it? Because if it's not, 
if that bread has not become Jesus Christ, they should be tripping over themselves out of love for me to keep me from this crass idolatry. I'm treating that piece of bread like it's Jesus, the living God and the Savior of the world. Because that's what it is. That's who he is. And if they are sincerely convinced that, nope, that's not the case, why are they not calling me up and begging me, Father Scott, this is the basest and most crass idolatry ever imagined to treat that piece of unleavened bread and some cheap wine as if it were Jesus Christ. Conversely, everyone of us who believe the truth that Jesus Christ is truly present, body and blood, soul and divinity in the Blessed Sacrament, should be tripping over ourselves to proclaim that good news to all our brothers and sisters. Do you need some Jesus in your life? I know where you can find him. Let me take you. You're going through some sorrow and suffering and misery in your life? I know Jesus who wants to console you. And I can bring you to him in person so that he can minister to your needs. Is it or isn't it? This is what Jesus himself has to say in John chapter 6, which is not in Ezekiel. Okay. He's talking, um, he's saying the works of the Father is to believe in the one who sent him, the one who came down from heaven. And the Jews ask him, well then what sign can you do that we may believe in you? Give us a cause to believe in you. Uh, Moses gave us manna in the desert. How about that? And Jesus is going back and forth with him, and he says this. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Unlike the Israelites who ate the manna from the desert, which was a great miracle, that God sustained his chosen people in their exodus from slavery in Egypt on the way to the promised land with nourishment that he provided every day in the form of manna. That's a great miracle. But Jesus is saying, he ate, they ate that bread, and they died. Here's the true bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread, the living bread, that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? <laughs> Which is a reasonable question. That's a, when you think about it. Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you. So he's doubling down. Amen, amen, I say to you. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. You do not have the life that God intends for you to have unless you eat my body and drink my blood. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. And these things he said while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. How in the world does Jesus intend for everyone who believes to be able to eat his body and drink his blood. Well, of course, you and I know the answer because we understand the meaning 
of what Jesus did at the Last Supper when he instituted the Blessed Se- the Holy Eucharist. Thanks be to God. I think sometimes people in their relationship with God, especially when we're having a difficult time, when I'm not really motivated in my faith or I'm stuck in some resentment or some bitterness or some pattern of sin or something, things just aren't going right, right? I think we can convince ourselves that, you know, woe is me. Uh, This is autobiographical, okay. Uh, Woe is me. Because it would have been great it would have been great if I could have been an eyewitness to Jesus. If I would have seen Jesus heal that leper or raise that crippled man, or, oh my gosh, if I would have seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, of course my faith would be strong and be unshakable and it would be the most important thing in my life, and I wouldn't get wrapped up into whatever I'm getting wrapped up in and whatever preoccupation and stress that I have. That would have been great to live in Jesus' time, to see him face to face. Well, that makes sense. But not to Jesus, it doesn't make sense. Jesus, when he tells his apostles that he is returning to the Father, says, it is better for you that I return to the Father. For if I do not, you will not receive the Holy Spirit of God. It means that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I, 2,000 years after the life of Jesus, are capable of a more intimate relationship with him, a more perfect union with him, than even the apostles who spent three years with Jesus, night and day, going where he went. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And witnessing his teaching, his miracles, and his authority over the enemy. It is better for you. It's better for you and me that Jesus after he suffered and died and rose again, ascended to the Father because he sent the promise of the Holy Spirit upon us. And you know, I all received that on the day of our baptism. It is better for us. It is better for us. So, it is the life of that Holy Spirit which is nourished and strengthened and deepened, the life of grace, every time we come to encounter Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, and give worship to God in union with Jesus, to God the Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. So, as we're going on, that's just a little reminder of us what what Mass is all about. As we're going on today uh, and tomorrow, always keep this in mind. Prayer is a personal relationship of growing intimacy with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Far beyond just saying my prayers or something that I should do, God who loves us, God who knit us together in our mother's wombs, draws us to himself. He wants to share the whole of life with you and me, and to draw us into participating in his life through Jesus with him and in him. Can't emphasize that enough. And tonight what we're going to talk about are a few essential habits of growing in intimacy with him. But first, a little... uh, What's the word? A little motivation for the effort that this takes. Uh, a few years ago, I wrote a little book called The, the Parish as a School of Prayer. Uh, the Institute for Priestly Formation asked me to put this together, and I was happy to do it. It's a bunch of stuff I learned from them, so the least I could do is put it together in a little book. And, uh, but the, the Parish as a School of Prayer, the title came from St. John Paul II's uh, letter on the 
beginning of the third Christian millennium, Novo Millennio Uniunte. And this is what he had to say. Yes, dear brothers and sisters, our Christian communities must become genuine schools of prayer where the meeting with Christ is expressed not just in imploring help, but also in thanksgiving, praise, adoration, contemplation, listening, and ardent devotion until the heart truly falls in love. Is my heart truly in love with Jesus? Have I been so captivated by his goodness and truth and beauty and all the expressions of his love for me that I'm falling in love with him truly and deeply? Intense prayer, yes, but it does not distract us from our commitment to history. Some people worry that if I get really serious about this relationship with God, I have to retire and become a hermit on a mountain or join a monastery or something. And that's not the case. It is the case for some people that that is God's plan of sanctity in their life, and those are beautiful vocations. But intimacy with God does not, of its own at all, take us away from our commitment to history, like how do we serve and impact the world around us. On the contrary, by opening our heart to the love of God, it also opens our heart to the love of our brothers and sisters and makes us capable of shaping history according to God's plan. How happy are you with are you with the way the world's going today? Are you just like thrilled? You wake up every day like this is great. It's the best thing I could ever imagine. I don't. I growl. I grumble. I got rid of cable because I can't watch the news anymore because I'm just like ah. Okay. <sighs> I used to have more. Uh, I don't know reserves of like oh it'll be okay. The world's on fire, not in a good way. Okay. Um, so. What difference can I make in that? Well, I can't make a single bit of difference on my own. I have no power to change any of that. But as I fall in love and I am open to this growing intimacy with God in prayer, the power of God makes us capable of shaping history according to his plan. That is awesome. Christians who have received the gift of vocation to the specially consecrated life, priesthood or consecrated life, of course are called to prayer in a particular way. Of its nature, their consecration makes them more open to the experience of contemplation, and it is important that they should cultivate it with special care. So priests and nuns and sisters and monks and hermits, of course, they're the ones who should pray. You know what the next word in this document is? But! But! (laughs) It's a very important word. But it would be wrong to think that ordinary Christians can be content with a shallow prayer that's unable to fill their whole life. I was down at the Seat Conference with Focus uh, the first week in January. It's fantastic. And uh, I started off one of my presentations with this idea. You know the idea of the Hail Mary Pass in football, right? What's the Hail Mary Pass? Hail Mary Pass is like time's running out, you're losing, you've tried everything, nothing's worked, right? Uh, it's the last ditch effort. You don't think it's really going to work, but it can't hurt to chuck it up there anyways and see what happens. I am deeply offended that that experience in football is called the Hail Mary Pass. <laughs> what kind of confidence, what kind of vision of praying is that? Like, well, probably it's not going to work out. I've tried everything else, so what can it hurt? Just chuck it up there, you know? Not really expecting anything. Come on. But, so but, it would be wrong to think that ordinary Christians can be content with a shallow prayer, a life of shallow prayer that is unable to fill their whole life, especially in the face of the many trials to which the world subjects faith. Amen. They would not only be mediocre Christians, but Christians at risk. You know the fastest group of religious identification in the country is today, right? The nuns, right? N-O-N-E-S, right? Because why? People are going after, uh, they are Christians at risk. 
You know, we're no longer a Christian society. We're a secular society. They would run the insidious risk of seeing their faith progressively undermined and would perhaps end up succumbing to the allure of substitutes, accepting alternative religious proposals, and even indulging in far-fetched superstitions. If you're not sure what this looks like, again, go on any social media platform and see what kind of, oh, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And the myriad of forms of superstition and alternative religious proposals that that takes place. So it is therefore essential that education and prayer should become in some way a key point of all pastoral planning. In my limited understanding, I'm really grateful for Bishop Gruss because uh, my understanding is that he's declaring a year of the Eucharist as a pastoral plan for the diocese. Thank you, Bishop Gruss, because where can I better learn to pray than in my encounter with Jesus in the gift of the Holy Eucharist? It is actually, I, I, I said that backwards. I don't go to the Eucharist so I can learn how to pray, right? My prayer disposes me to the fullness of encounter with Jesus, communion, receiving communion with Jesus at every Mass. Thanks be to God. So, uh, this is Pope Benedict. Even if the priest, but you can uh, substitute the catechist, the DRE, the youth group director, the adult volunteer, whatever, any person who's trying to do anything, uh, to spread the gospel. Even if that person seeks to live out their service as asceticism and their sacramental activity as personal encounter with Christ, they will still need moments to catch their breath so that this inner directedness can become real and effective. Jesus himself, when his disciples returned from their first missionary journey, said to them, come away to a lonely place a while and rest a while. Generous self-giving for others is impossible without discipline and constant recovery of faith-filled interiority. When he's talking about interiority, he means that intimacy with God through Jesus with him and in him. The effectiveness of pastoral action depends ultimately upon prayer. Otherwise, service becomes empty activism. Therefore, the time spent in direct encounter with God in prayer can rightly be described as the pastoral priority par excellence. Prayer is the soul's breath without which the priest, the DRE, the catechist, the youth minister, necessarily remains breathless, deprived of the oxygen of optimism and joy, which they need if they allow themselves to be sent day by day as a worker into the Lord's harvest. Amen. You've got to love it when the Pope in his own writing, Amen. <laughs> Speak it, brother. It's true. And of course, in that beautiful eloquence of Pope Benedict XVI, uh, He's echoing the truth that we learn from Jesus, who in the parable of the vine and branches says this shocking thing, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. And what is the exhortation that he gives us again and again in John 15? Remain in my love, remain in my love, remain in my love, because without me, you can do nothing. If I'm trying to do even really good things without that priority of cultivating a deeper and receiving the gift of deeper intimacy with Jesus, my activity is the, runs the insidious risk of being empty activism. <sighs> Here it is, in John chapter 15. Remain in me as I remain in you. Remain on the vine, unless you remain in me. Right? Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. To remain in me is to be caught up in that river of grace that Ezekiel saw flowing from the temple, which is really the life of Jesus pouring out from his pierced and sacred heart on the cross. 
And if we remain in that movement of his love and grace and growing intimacy with him, we will bear much fruit. And this is by, this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. As the father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. If you didn't wake up in the morning and as you're brushing your teeth in the mirror saying, you know what? <coughs> Jesus loves me as much as the father loves him. There's more for you to receive and me to receive because I didn't do that this morning yet. <laughs> There's more for us to receive. Jesus doesn't lie. The word of God cannot be broken. We can stake our lives on this truth that the measure of Jesus' love for you and me is the measure of the Father's love for Jesus. Lord, help us to receive the height and depth and breadth and length of your love. So I'm going to say this about intimacy. Jesus desires to have an intimate relationship with you and me. Scott, do you have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I don't know. I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to have a close personal relationship with God? So I'm just going to talk about intimacy here, and we can apply it to our relationship with God for sure. So if I have an intimate relationship with you, a couple things are true. I know your thoughts. Like, I know how your mind works. I know what you think about things. I know your opinions. Um, I know if something comes up, how you'll probably approach it. If I know you very, very, very well. Okay? I know your thoughts. I know your feelings. I can detect your moods. Married people are really good at this. You know, you can walk into your house and without uttering a word, you can just feel the vibe. <laughs> oh, I think I need to run an errand. You know? <laughs> or so I'm told, right? And... Uh, so I know your moods. I can detect them. You don't have to tell me your feelings necessarily, though it's helpful. I encourage couples to communicate about their feelings. Use your words. It's good. <laughs> All the women in the room are laughing. It's <laughs> really funny. Okay. And uh, I, I know your moods. I can detect them, right, easily. And I know your desires, meaning I know what you're passionate about. I know what motivates you. I know what you're afraid of, negative desires. Uh, I know what you're adverse to, that you're stressed out about. I know what gets you out of bed in the morning. I know what you're looking forward to, etc. I know your desires. And if we have an intimate relationship, very importantly, you know these things about me. <laughs> this is really important. Uh, especially in the day of Google stuff, right? Uh, I've been at this, I've been a priest now for 18 years. I was a jubilee priest. <laughs> jubilee priest. The jubilee year of 2000. And, uh, I give millennials a hard time. <laughs> and uh, so sometimes people come up to me and they know a lot about me. They've listened to talks I've given and you know, stuff like that. And uh, if someone comes up to you who you've never met or shared life with at all and comes up to me, hey, I know you. And uh, I can tell how you're feeling. I know how this goes for you. I know you're really grateful for that. And I know what you want. Who are you? This is not an experience of intimacy. This is an experience of creepiness. And that person's a creeper. That's right. That person is a creeper. I tell you that to say this. Jesus Christ is not a creeper. I want that t-shirt. I have t-shirt ideas. And Jesus Christ is not a creeper. So think about this. The reason, and in fact the delight of intimate relationships, is this whole experience of knowing the other person 
and being known by them. And I know them because they've chosen to reveal themselves to me, and I've cared enough to pay attention. And I experience being known by them because I've dared to make myself known. And they've cared enough to pay attention. And it's that mutual vulnerability and sort of investment, paying attention to each other, that wraps up the delight of deep friendships, great loves in our lives. So let's think about this in relationship with God. Has God revealed himself to us? Yes, amen, we call it divine revelation, in a progressive way throughout salvation history. Which, by the way, we recall at every Mass, it's called the anamnesis, a remembering of all God's saving works that culminate in Jesus Christ. So that, in such a deep remembering, this power and movement of God's love and grace, in fact, is made present and effective for us. The anamnesis it happens right after the mystery of faith, every Eucharistic prayer. God has made himself known. And, of course, God pays attention to us. If scripture tells us every hair on your head has been counted, uh, which is a greater effort for some of you than others. It's <laughs> uh, going easier and easier every day for me. <laughs> Uh, I'm in a little goofy mood tonight. I'm sorry. It was, uh, I'm having fun. I hope you're having fun. Um, God attends to us with great love. Uh, some of you may remember when uh, your friends started having their first child. You know, and when parents have that first child, they tell all their friends about every little detail, way beyond the interest threshold of their friends. <laughs> and why? Like, oh, Jimmy Brink. Blink three times in a row today this trip. Three times in a row. It wasn't four. It wasn't, uh, no, three times. Well, that's fascinating. No, it's not fascinating. Why are mom and dad fascinated by that? And I'm not. Because mom and dad love that baby way more than I do. And good for them. So I pay attention to the one I love. It's not difficult. Uh, it's not a labor to think about and pay attention to the one I'm deeply in love with. I had a serious relationship my sophomore year of college. Uh, and, you know, that when I was dating her, it was not an effort to call her to mind, think about, to look forward to our next time to get together and to be able to have a little time to spend time together. That was an easy thing to do when the heart is deeply in love. Okay, so God has revealed himself to us. God pays attention to us. That's his part of the relationship. So the question is on our side. Have I cared enough to pay attention to God who's made himself known? And that's different for each one of us. And secondly, have I chosen to reveal myself to God? And this is like a hang-up for us who believe, because like, well, God is all-knowing. Yes, he is all-knowing. And he certainly knows me and my thoughts, feelings, and desires better than I know them myself. True. More torturous than all else is the human heart, Scripture tells us. Who can understand it? Only the Lord. Okay? So yes, God knows me more than... But God, Jesus Christ is not a creeper. So when he invites me into relationship, into intimacy with himself, he invites me into relationship in the way he created me for relationship. Which is to experience being known by him, not just because he's omniscient, like super Google, like he <laughs> super Google stalked me, but because I've dared, I've been vulnerable enough to make known to him, to reveal, to entrust my thoughts, feelings, and desires to him. And I've done so on a consistent basis. And I experience that God responds to my self-revelation with his unconditional love. That's the delight of growing intimacy with God, who draws us to himself in the way he created us, 
uh, to be in relationship with him. And that's on our time. So, tomorrow, we're going to talk about some habits of growing in intimacy and how these habits are invited to be practiced and cultivated through the different parts of the Mass. Um, and that's what we'll do. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for revealing to us the Father's love. Who sees you, sees the Father. Father, you so loved us that you gave your only Son that whoever believes in him might not die but have everlasting life. Jesus, you love us so much that you willingly laid down your life on the cross for us. You gave it freely. No one took your life from you. Amen. So much did you love us. And Jesus, you instituted for us the great sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, that we can be nourished and healed in our bodies, minds, and souls by the outflow of your grace from your pierced and sacred heart. As we are nourished by your body and blood, soul, and divinity, as we are healed by your body and blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love for us. And so we pray again by the power of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Expand our heart's capacity to receive this astonishing love. To be drawn into a whole new lived experience of this love. Alive in our senses. That we can see and hear and believe. St. Paul, as Ananias prayed over you in the moment of your conversion. He said, God, our Father, has chosen you to know his will, to see his face and hear his voice so that you may be his witness before all to what you have seen and heard. St. Paul, Ananias, pray over us today. These same words that are properly addressed to us from the day of our own baptism. That we may know God's love that we may see and meet his loving gaze upon us, that we may hear his voice, that his word may come alive in our hearts, so that so captivated by his love for us, we may be his witnesses before the world. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Some wonderful person is going to tell you what's next. All right, thank you very much. Father. All right, thank you, Father. Yeah, thank you for sharing your enthusiasm and your joy. Uh, we're excited uh, for tomorrow and uh, other conferences. Uh, now we're going to take a, a, a short break uh, here until uh, 8 o'clock. Um, we're uh, going to uh, reconvene in the chapel. Uh, we're going to have time to spend with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament uh, during a time of adoration. But also we have uh, many priests that are available for the Sacrament uh, of Reconciliation. So for confession, the sacrament will be celebrated there. Father Mark Horn will be exposing the Blessed Sacrament uh, at 8 o'clock, so please uh, make your way in there prior to 8 o'clock. Um, and then as soon as the Blessed Sacrament is exposed, you can take time in prayer, but 
There's no reason to wait. The priests are ready to hear your confession, and the Lord is ready to forgive you immediately. <laughs> immediately. You don't have to stop. So, uh, so there'll be plenty of priests there on those beautiful confessionals uh, on the side, also in the back, in the, uh, the tabernacle, in the uh, chapel, back there, the resurrection chapel, and also in the sacristy area. So you'll, they'll be all well, well uh, indicated. Um, after adoration tonight, at 9 o'clock-ish, right here in Emmaus, the next room here uh, is going to be a social. Uh, so there'll be uh, beverages, some adult beverages, uh, and, uh, and snacks uh, and whatever. So that'll be uh, for our social right after. So join us after the Holy Hour right next door in Emmaus. Also in Emmaus, you'll notice that there's um, uh, the uh, Mustard Seed uh, Catholic Bookstore has a display there. Father's book is there, so uh, you don't want to miss that. But a whole other uh, resources on the Blessed Sacrament and, and Eucharist and, and prayer are available from the mustard seed. So um, take a look at that. Tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, uh, there'll be breakfast right in here at 7.30. So if you ordered breakfast, if that was part of your, what you uh, did, that begins at 7.30 right here uh, in this room. The coffee bar out in the main entrance is open from 7.30 to 10 p.m. tomorrow. And if you haven't tried their coffees, um, I do recommend them. Um, the, and the young people that are there are excellent baristas, surprisingly. Um, otherwise, for the rest of us who didn't, didn't order, didn't, uh, order breakfast, um, and after you're done with your coffee, we're going to start back in here uh, at 8.30 tomorrow morning. As you go into the chapel, I'm going to let you go in a second. As you go into the chapel, in the center of the chapel, where if you were at Mass tonight, they had the, the Green Journey um, uh, hymnals, um, there'll be handouts for the Holy Hour. Um, one will be the handout for exposition and benediction. There's also a night prayer, because we'll conclude our Holy Hour with a night prayer together. So there's a night prayer booklet there as well. And also find a really beautiful and, I would say, unique uh, guide to confession that's available there. So I'd highly recommend that you take all three of those of those handouts as well. Um, good. Good. Finally, after the holy hour, we're going to have that social out there, and Father has one more thing to say. Yes. I wanted to have some suggestions for you as you're going to pray. I want to encourage you tomorrow, uh, bring your Bibles with you. I'm sure you all have Bibles with you. And um, just wanted to give you some suggestions for prayers. We have the great opportunity to go into adoration tonight not there right there um second shot great so these are great passages of scripture to pray with to ask jesus for this grace that i may generously receive a whole new lived experience of your infinite and personal love for me so just i'll leave those up on the screen as you go your way and time for a break and uh we'll see you in the chapel